your Bible or some electronic device, you'll be looking at the text with us. We are in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we just started Philippians a couple weeks ago um, and are going to spend the next several weeks, um, most of the summer, working our way through this letter from the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing from a Roman prison, writing to um, the church in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony that has been kind of repopulated with um, veterans of the Roman military. So it's a very nationalistic place um, with a lot of loyalty to Rome. Um, On his second missionary journey um, in roughly 49 AD, Paul plants this church. Um, It's a church that he loves deeply and has has ministered to him and he's ministered to them and, and we're something like 12 or 13 years removed from this we're in roughly 61 62 AD and the church has sent um, a gift it sent a, a man Epaphroditus to check on and to minister to Paul and Paul is now writing a letter back to the church um, continuing to to minister to pastor to encourage them um, it's, it is a church that he absolutely Loves And so there's just a ton of joy and emotion in this letter as he um, thinks fondly of them. And so we spent the first two weeks looking at the first 11 verses, which is just the, kind of the opening and the prayer and Paul's longing and desire for them. And so we're going to pick up this morning in verse 12. But before we do that, um, listen, we're, we're just living in some strange days, Right. Like there, it's just kind of a bizarre or surreal or whatever adjective you want to use there. Um, time the last few months have just been really strange, um, and if if we're honest, for a lot of us, maybe we wouldn't use the word strange. Maybe we would use the word fearful. Right? There's been fear of financial ruin. There's been fear of physical sickness. There's been fear of death. There's been fear of um, political unrest. Like in any kind of realm you can think of, there's been just some uncertainty, some anxiety, and some fear. And for a number of weeks, um, even the fact that we could not gather together as a body on Sunday mornings, right, just kind of leads this kind of low-grade anxiety of, hey, we've been thrown off course and our circumstances aren't allowing us to do what what we want to do. And there's a sense where you feel maybe bridled a little bit, like, hey, God, what, what, what you were doing was good, and we just want to keep doing that. So would you allow us just to run the race and the course that you've set before us, and we feel like we've been sidelined. And as we, as we kind of wrestle with this, and the fact is, is we're still wrestling with this, um, as we think about um, kind of coming out of COVID, and yet the COVID's, is it coming back? Is it not? Right? Like, there, there's just all this uncertainty in the news and in the air, um, that can can lead to some strange emotions and thoughts right now, and us wondering, okay, what is God doing? What do our circumstances really mean, um, and why are we not able to just kind of do what we were comfortable doing prior to this? And and what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to share this morning with the church in Philippi some of his own circumstances that on the surface have derailed him from what God had called him to do. And yet is going to show what God is doing in the midst of some strange and bizarre and uncertain circumstances that involve life and death and difficulty and being put on the sideline. And so let's pick up in verse 12. 
Paul writes this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be put to shame. But with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, for to, me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. All right, so what, what's happening here, right, is Paul is writing this letter from prison. They're, they're aware of that. Um, and their concern for Paul in a Roman prison, right, is, is, is execution going to happen? Is it looming? How are you doing, Paul? We're checking in on your, your emotional and mental state, wanting to know what is going on. And so Paul is writing back to them to encourage them. And listen, I think if we're not careful, we can, we can miss the heaviness of Paul saying, like, that my imprisonment, that it's been, it's been used to advance the gospel, Right, that we're most of us, if we've been around church for any time at all, that we know that that Paul had a lot of trials and tribulations, that he was in prison multiple times, and you can almost just like stack that into that's just part of his story, right? And it turned out well. But listen, this, I want you to imagine someone that that you know and love who is who has served and ministered to you, writing and saying, "My imprisonment, my cancer, my my financial ruin." My loss of a dear loved one, right? That it would that it would impact you, right? It, it's a gut punch because it's not what you want for them. It's not what you would hope for them. And you're hearing the pain and the the impact and the significance that there is a weighty a weightiness and a heaviness to this that we don't want to run past. And and he adds almost an aside to this that we just need to hit briefly that is not really related to his imprisonment, but that the the Roman church had some men who had stepped up to preach in Paul's absence and the fact that he was now imprisoned. And he says, and some of them, and they're preaching Jesus and they're making much of him, and it does my soul good to hear that. And there are others, and we don't really get a lot of nuance here. Like Paul does not blast them, and he is known to do that, right? So it's, it's a little unusual that he doesn't hear. But he says some of them, they're preaching it out of selfish ambition and motivation, they're doing it to like just jab me a little bit. 
So maybe part of their message was, hey, if Paul was doing what I was doing, he wouldn't be in prison, right? And, and they're kind of, they're mocking or, or poking at Paul some. Now listen, in, in Galatians and some of his other letters, um, Paul absolutely destroys false teachers. And so it's interesting here that he does not really criticize them. He simply says, I'm able to rejoice on both accounts because the gospel is going forth. Jesus is being preached. Why is he able to do that here in the letter to, to the church at Philippi? Because they weren't teaching anything false, right? There was no heresy. There was no false teaching. Listen, there were some poor motivations, there were some, some bad heart motives and some selfish ambition, but the message they were preaching was Jesus. And so he's like, listen, we can deal with our personal disagreements at another point. I'm just glad Jesus is being preached. And so very likely the church in Philippi has kind of rallied around him and they're wanting to like, you know, speak out against these preachers and come to his defense. And Paul's just saying, listen, it's okay. The gospel is being preached, the real true gospel Listen, their hearts, we can deal with at another point. I'm just, I can literally rejoice that the gospel is going forth. I mean, so we see Paul, who is now imprisoned, right? Not sure, not sure what his future will hold, and having people run their mouths about him, that it's not shocking that in verse 18, that he quotes from Job. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And he says, in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Right? That he's quoting from Job 13, this idea of Job just saying, listen, regardless of what comes, I can rejoice. And so that he is already drawing their attention back to one who has suffered great loss, tremendous difficulty, and yet would not curse God and die, but would rejoice in the fact that God was merciful and faithful to him. So it gives you a sense that Paul is saying, listen, it is hardship and there is struggle, but in it, I can rejoice. So we have kind of these two twin strange truths that there is brokenness in the world and Paul is facing it. The church in Philippi is facing it and that there is rejoicing that can happen because God is at work. So why is he able to celebrate like this? Look in verses 12 and 13. He's able to celebrate even his imprisonment, rejoicing in it, because the gospel is still going forth. It's still advancing. Look at 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying, listen, let's not talk about me. My imprisonment is moving the gospel forward so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He is able to rejoice because people who would have not had access to the gospel most likely are hearing the truth that Jesus has come to rescue, right? That his life was lived on our behalf, that his death was meant to cover our sins and that he is alive today, right? That Paul can say, listen, he knocked me on my backside as I was looking to persecute the church. So I was looking to persecute believers. He has rescued me. He is alive and there is hope for you. And so he's sitting there in chains with guards with nowhere to go. And he's like, got a story for you. Let's talk about Jesus. And he's like, so the gospel is going forth and it's going forth in a place that would have been difficult had he not been in chains for it to happen. And so he's encouraged and rejoicing in that. He's also encouraged and rejoicing. Look at verse 14, because the church itself is encouraged. 
And most of the brothers, and, and this is really um, the brothers and the sisters, right? Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying, listen, it's not just that the gospel is going forth and advancing because I'm in prison and I'm sharing it. But because people are seeing that Jesus is with me, that he is sustaining me, right? That he is merciful to me in the midst of difficult circumstances. They're becoming emboldened and they're wanting to tell others about Jesus as well. Why is this significant? A couple things. The first being, he doesn't say the pastors of the local church are doing this. He says the church. The brothers and the sisters, those believers in Rome are making much of Jesus because of Paul's imprisonment and then being emboldened and encouraged by it. That it is the call and the mission of all who would claim Jesus to make much of him and to share his story. The second part is if you know your history, Nero is the emperor of Rome right now. And Nero was not a friend of the church. Nero was was actually one of the most violent and volatile towards the church and things are only going to get worse and so they the pressure is already there christians are already being put to death um, the roman Colosseum is occurring um, the roman fire the, the fire in rome is going to happen and the church will be blamed for this these things that that nero is doing is he is looking to crush the church and believers and instead of hiding going hey we could end up in prison as well paul saying listen church in philippi I'm encouraged. I'm rejoicing because the gospel is rescuing some of the imperial guard. And the church in Rome, they're not hiding. They're not silent. They're emboldened in confidence to share the truth and the beauty of a risen Savior to those in Rome. And so he's able to rejoice in this. And the church is saying, okay, God is, is faithful to Paul, but he might also be faithful. He's going to be faithful to me too, and so I can be emboldened. And you can almost now envision Paul saying, okay, but the church in Philippi, because they love me, because we have this great relationship, they're going to be glad to hear this report of what God is doing in Rome. But he almost is, is he's working to already answer their objections. Okay, Paul, thanks for telling us what God's doing. We're going to rejoice in that with you. But Paul, how are you? Like, how are you doing? I want to know how your heart is and how your mind is. And so he continues and just answers the question that he knows that they would ask because they care about him. Right? And he picks this up in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So he immediately says, I know that you are praying for me. This Holy Spirit is here ministering to me. And because of that, my deliverance is going to occur. Now, right at first, first glance, you're like, deliverance. Okay, he's, he's hopeful he's getting out of prison. And really what he's going to lay out here is, listen, deliverance could happen in, in one of two ways. And I'm okay with that. Either way. As it is, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he holds out, listen, both of these are possible. I don't know if I'm getting out or not. I don't know if my execution is going to occur or not. But I want you to know that in either life or death, so in either execution or release, that your prayers have ministered to me, that the Spirit is gracious to be with me, and that I will see either one of those as deliverance. 
Either one of those is victory. Either one of those is things to rejoice in. Listen, he says in verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary in your account. And so he just kind of lets them into his heart and his mind for a moment. He goes, listen, I'm wrestling between these. Listen, if I to die, if they want to kill me, I'll go be with Jesus. That will be far best. But if they want to release me, I'll keep telling people about Jesus. I'll keep seeing folks saved. I'll be able to come back and minister to you, church in Philippi, to the other churches that I love. And that will be fruitful labor. And he's almost saying, listen, it's not even my choice, right? Like, if they want to send me to Jesus, I will gladly take that. But if not, I'm not going to be silenced. I'm not going to shut up as to the call that's upon my life is to make much of Jesus until the day Jesus takes me home. He's saying, listen, it's not going to change the ministry and the things that I'm doing. Paul ultimately had to be absolutely frustratingly maddening to his guards and captors. Like, we can't get this dude to shut up. And if we let him go, he's going to keep doing what we threw him in prison for. And if he stays here, he's going to win the guards to the faith. And if we kill him, he seems excited about that. right? I mean, it's just like, what do you do to this guy? Like... Nothing seems to be punishment. Nothing seems to affect him, and we can't make him stop. And so Paul's saying, I I can't lose. The question, maybe for us, though, is how can this be? Right? Like, how can this be? And, And how do we not look at Paul and say, it's because you're Paul, and we're not, and so we're not really called to this same sort of life and thought and expectation. Look back at verse 9. As Paul is praying for the church in Philippi, he says this, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Right? So remember, he says, I'm praying that your love would continue, that you would be on mission in Philippi, and that your knowledge would increase. Because if your knowledge increases, so will your discernment, so that you'll be able to approve what is excellent, and you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. He said, I want your knowledge to increase. What knowledge? Paul is sharing with them this. Jesus' mercy and grace will sustain you in whatever you face. And he's saying, listen, I'm literally in prison, potentially facing execution. And I'm telling you, Jesus is with me. That your prayers are ministering to me, that the Spirit is here with me, but that Jesus' mercy is sufficient in this really unpleasant circumstance like let's not glorify prison here for a moment it would not have been a good fun or pleasant place to be and yet he's saying jesus is here and his mercy is new every morning and he is sustaining me and he is gracious church we need to hear this so that when whatever circumstances may come your way that you can say i will trust i will know that jesus will be faithful in them Maybe you've already had some difficult circumstances where Jesus met you and he was gracious and sustaining and faithful so that now when hard news comes your way, you can look back and say, no, 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 I have the knowledge of his character that he will do this again for me. And I can tell others he will. 
Because he's done it and he's been faithful that that, that knowledge will anchor their soul. That he'll meet every need. It's why verses like Romans 8.28, right? That God is able to work good in every situation for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, that is not necessarily good news in the midst of the hard thing, in the midst of the initial loss. But it is true before it, it's true during it, and it's true after it. Now listen, that does not mean that needs to be the first thing you say to someone every time something bad happens. They may just need you to mourn with them, to sit with them, to hear them, and and to say it is broken and it's wrong, and there will be a day where Jesus is going to wipe the tears from this. But it is true that Jesus is working good for his glory and for our good out of it. Matthew 5, 4, right? Blessed are those who comfort, or blessed blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, right? Once you've had to mourn and you've been comforted, you don't just quote that as a coffee mug verse to someone who's mourning. You're able to say, no, 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 in my knowledge, in my experience, Jesus is faithful. And he'll be that for you too, because it's who he is, it's his character, Paul is saying, listen, all the things I've told you are true. Jesus really is alive, and he really is moving, and he really is with us. Jesus told them that this was going to happen. We see this in several places, one being Mark 13, 9. Jesus speaking, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. To bear witness before them. He says this as well in Luke 21. and John 16, 33, he tells them, listen, there is going to be trouble in this world. Right? He, he doesn't say, hey, because you've got me, it is smooth sailing until you die and you're lazy boy. Right? He says there will be trouble. They will drag you before the authorities. There is going to be issue and trouble in this life. But take heart, I have overcome it, and I'm alive, and you are not alone. And the prayers of the saints are going to benefit you, and and I'm going to anchor your soul. He told us this would happen. So listen, he is with us. It is not easy. But we can trust his character. This is one of those things that's it's simple, right? There's no part of Philippians 1 that you're like, I'm not really sure what he's saying. He's saying, I'm in prison, and I'm rejoicing. Right? That he has called us to be different. We don't fit into this world. That we can trust his character, our knowledge of him, and our experience of him. Right? So... It, Picture a small child, right, going to the doctor for shots and going, ah, it's going to hurt more than I want it to hurt. And you're able to say, based on your experience, you can trust me. It's not going to kill you, right? You can trust me. It's going to hurt like this, and then it's going to go away. Or you can jump in the pool and trust me, right? Jude is doing some swim lessons, right? And so I got to watch Janae out there, right, saying, okay, Jude, trust me. Trust me. Like, I'm not going to, like, I haven't, I haven't let you go under. And he's like, not yet, right? But it's like, I'm not sure if you're going to continue to, right? What's he doing? He's, he's weighing Janae's character and her ability with the fear that he has. God is saying, you can weigh my character and my ability with your fear. 
because I will not be found wanting ever. You can trust me regardless of the circumstances that come your way. This is counterintuitive because this is not our home. Our culture says extend your life as long as humanly possible and make it as easy and comfortable as possible. So it needs to be way beyond, right, anything we can imagine and as easy and as like with as least amount of drama and issue as possible. That's what we should long for. And Paul is saying, they want to kill me? Okay. They want to throw me in prison? Okay. I'll go be with Jesus. I'll tell people about Jesus. Right? I'm not going to let this world dictate the way I live. Jesus has called me to something different. So church, here's what it means for us. It's why the church has been known for taking risk for its entire history. It's why the church has been those who have run into pandemics and plagues over the centuries. Over and over and over and over again. Why? Because to die is gain. To be with Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. It's why the missionaries have gone to violent places who oppose Jesus and want nothing more than to silence and to crush. Because Jesus is worth it. And those folks need to hear the gospel. It's why we have not bowed to political pressure throughout history. The church has stayed because, right, the gospel is not going to be thwarted. Jesus is faithful to move forward his kingdom. And so we can take risk. So listen, you see how this begins to impact the way we're living right now in, a, in an environment where it is fear-driven and fear-mongering is happening all around us. And we're thinking, no, 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 I can't have a shortened life. I cannot have a less comfortable life. I cannot have a less financially um, secure life. Right? It's, it's stoking these fears. And Paul is saying, no, no, hey, church, church, Jesus is sufficient. He is enough, and he is good, and he will sustain you, and he will meet you in whatever circumstance you may find yourself in. Whether that's not being in the financial situation that you wanted, the health situation you wanted, a shorter life, the loss of loved ones, right? These risks and dangers are temporary. Because Jesus is eternal. And ultimately, here's what Jesus is telling us through Paul this morning. That he is better than the longest, most satisfying, most fulfilling, richest, comfortable, luxurious life. If you could write it up, right, and say this would be the perfect life. Jesus is saying, yeah, but I'm better than that. I'm better than that. And so the question for us this morning is who do we trust? Do we trust the world that's telling us this? Or do we trust Jesus who says... Listen, everything I promised you is true. And I am all that your, your heart and your soul has cried out and longed for. Look at verse 26. So that in me, Paul's saying, so that in my experience, in my story, that you may have ample cause to glory, to boast in Jesus when I come back to you. Right? He's saying, I cannot wait. Not that you'll boast in me, that you'll boast in Jesus because Jesus is who he says he is, that he is faithful and beautiful and good, that he is a treasure. He is worth it all, and you are not a fool to trust him and to follow him. So a couple things here as we begin to wrap up. 
That is ultimately the question for us this morning, is do you trust Jesus like this? Do you see him as being a treasure worth a life that might end up being a little shorter than you had hoped? Having more loss or pain or circumstances that were uncomfortable than you wanted. But in the pursuit of Jesus, right, that those things occur. If we believe Paul, that Jesus is faithful to sustain us, then it's going to change the way we train up our children and prepare them. The way that we're going to train and prepare up new believers. It's not to say, now that you have Jesus, it's going to be great all the way. Say, regardless of what comes, regardless health-wise, regardless government-wise, right? Regardless pandemic-wise, regardless relationship-wise, regardless financial-wise, regardless of it all, Jesus will be faithful to you. He will be with you. He will be near. His grace is sufficient, and He will sustain you for whatever you're going to face. Listen, the persecuted church has been telling us this for generations. That Jesus shows up when we need him. And his grace is sufficient. To even the point, right, some of the things that we would not even want to whisper this morning. That the loss of a father or a mother, that Jesus is sufficient in that child's life. Who has lost a parent too soon. That he's enough. And he's enough if we don't feel like we have the things that this life has promised. That he is faithful. A second is it needs to be reminded. We need to be reminded this morning of this. What we are intaking is going to matter a lot right now. What are you taking in the most? Is it content from the world? From the news? It's bad news that's looking to keep you whipped up in a lather, right? A fear-mongering. And I'm, I'm not saying we put our head in the sand and we ignore what's going on in the world. Not at all. But what is driving us? The news and social media? Or is it the word of God? Who has told us that there will be trouble. And we'll be dragged before the court sometimes. And there's going to be difficulty. And guess what? It's not going to get better until Jesus splits the sky and returns for his church. Right? That, listen, that doesn't mean that in every place, in every situation, in every time it's going to always be horrible. Right? But he's saying it's, there is a kind of a culmination of things moving. Are we, are we believing that, trusting that, talking that? Because here's what's happened. Here is why our current last two or three months have bothered us so much. It has reminded us, and here's why we say we want normalcy to return. It bothers us because death is before us right now. Because we're seeing people die. We're seeing big numbers of death. We're seeing tragedy on the news. And we're putting ourselves in that situation going, normalcy is not having to think about death so much. And that's not, that's not normalcy. That, that, that is pretending. And the last two or three months have kept it before us constantly. It makes us think about this life and the next. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am faithful and merciful and I will meet you in your anxiety and in your fear. Right? I am sufficient. And if we will see him as enough, then there is no fear for us in life or death, as Paul says. Right? What is the worst you can do? The worst you can do is send me to my treasure forever. (laughs) Send me to the one who has rescued my soul and made me his. So... What are we intaking? 
right? And, and, and then even this is the Christian intake that we have. Is it pointing us to Jesus or is it saying, here's how you can have a better life? Here's the steps to security. Here's the steps to relationships. Or is it saying Jesus is your treasure and he's worth it all? And there are, there's implications for our life, but Jesus is sufficient. The third thing is this, is how do we view our own circumstances? Some of you are living with bad circumstances right now. Some of you will have circumstances that you're not looking forward to coming, that will catch you off guard. And are we able to say, oh, God, where are you? Which you are allowed to say, okay? The Psalms give you permission to express painful emotion and to ask if you've been forsaken. But the the arc of Scripture is this. What's Jesus doing? What is he doing in me? What is is he shaping in me? What is he removing from me? What is he giving me the eyes to see? Because here's the promise. Your suffering, your circumstances, no matter how tragic they are, will be temporary. And they will have meaning. And there will be a day where you are standing in the glory of Jesus, where you will look back and say, those felt temporary and and almost painless compared to the surpassing weight of glory that I now have. And it does not mean that they were short, and it doesn't mean they were painless. But compared to what's coming, that's what they'll appear to be. Right? That your suffering, whatever it is, your circumstances will be temporary. They will have an end, and Jesus has the final say for eternity. Listen, we don't tend to hold up people who have really easy lives and say, look at the testimony of following Jesus Right? We tend to be more like Satan in that regard and say, well, of course they loved Jesus. Look how easy their life was. But it's in suffering that we ask the question, how were they not destroyed? How are they still standing? Right? Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. He says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. He's saying this. Listen, you have to have a reason to have hope. You have to have a reason for someone to ask you, why do you have hope? Which typically means in that situation, you would not necessarily have hope, right? Like that that most people would not respond the way you are. And they're going to say, why are you hopeful? Why are you not staggered? Why are you not destroyed? And you're able to say, because Jesus is sufficient. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so he's enough and I'm trusting him and he is securing me. Paul writes as well to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay... To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So what he's saying is, listen, our bodies are frail and feeble. And it's shown in that manner so that we don't take the credit and the glory for being great. But that we point to the one who is. Right? That, that he is powerful. And then in chapter 1 of Second Corinthians, verse 4. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
he goes on to say, listen, we share in the sufferings of Christ, right? And we do it so that when others are suffering, we're able to point to the hope that we have, the sustaining grace of God, the testimony, right? When you think of the story of Job, you don't laud him for his wealth. You laud him for his faithfulness in the midst of suffering. That is the testimony that stands out. Why are we not destroyed? Because Jesus has kept us secure. He's held us in his strong, living, resurrected hand until he takes us to the Father who are once for all time will wipe away every tear, take away all pain, all death, all sin, all suffering for all time. And so that is your future. That is your treasure. That is your hope is that you get to be with him forever with none of the brokenness, trials, and tribulation of this world. And so in the meantime, we're able to be faithful and to trust Jesus because he's doing something in us until he takes us back to the Father or returns for us. And so, final thing, the mission doesn't change. COVID or not COVID, the mission doesn't change. It's to make much of Jesus, to treasure him, and to draw others into relationship with him. Cancer or no cancer, the mission doesn't change. The loss of loved ones or everyone's healthy and well, the mission does not change. In riches or in poverty, in freedom or no freedom, the mission has not changed for 2,000 years. Whether it is in America or Yemen, right? Whether it is in communism or democracy, whether it is under... um, the threat of torture and imprisonment, or whether people take it for granted. Jesus is sufficient. He is the treasure. He is enough. And he has called us to know him in that manner and to make him known. Church, there are circumstances coming for all of us that we don't want. Paul's going to tell you this this morning. Jesus is going to meet you there. And today, you don't have the grace you need to face this thing that's coming for you. But he will meet you there and give you the grace you need to sustain you when you need it. And to live is Christ, and to die is gain, and Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. And one day, this portion of our struggle will be done forever. And we will simply get our treasure forever. Listen, simple, just not easy. So would we be a people, a church, who would be willing to, to lean into this and say, Jesus, I'm not sure this is who I am. So please help me. Help me to face the circumstances of my life with grace because of your grace and your faithfulness. Would we be a people who are praying for one another, sustaining one another, linking arms that when we stagger, the church is there? Would we be anchored by Jesus? We're asking him to work and to move and to minister in these ways for us. So whether the days are smooth and easy or they are rocky and difficult, that we would say Jesus is enough and he is all the hope we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your abundant grace and mercy. God, would you stir these truths in our hearts? God, would we confess where we are weak and where we don't trust it and we don't believe it? 
And God, would you grow our knowledge and our trust and our experience so that we can say you are sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen.